Welcome to All Aspects, a podcast where we explore, discuss, and celebrate adventure culture and outdoor lifestyle. It is our mission to educate, inform, and entertain our fellow adventurers about the inherent risks that surround us every time we go outside to play, and to provide you with the knowledge and tools to help you do the things you love the most in the safest way possible. All Aspects is brought to you by Aspect Abbey. Aspect Abbey is on a mission to save lives by making avalanche safety simple. It is the only app that tells you where the high and low risk zones are for today's avalanche danger. With a suite of built-in tools like forecast verification, slope meter, and gear checklist, Aspect Abbey is the new safety standard for avalanche risk management. Remember, there are dozens of apps that get you into the backcountry, but there's only one that's designed to bring you home, and that's Aspect Abbey. Go to aspectabbey.com to learn more or download the app to start your 30-day free trial. Thank you, Aspect Abbey, for making this show possible, and thank you for listening. All right, let's get to the show. What's your spirit animal today, Dave? <laughs> My spirit animal is a a sloth. I'm getting oh. ready to sloth. Oh. I don't know why. It's my favorite I animal, sloth, so. you sloth, he, she, or it sloths. We all sloth. Pretty much. Yeah. What's that your spirit makes me think today? of the Spanish verb chillar. Okay. To chillax. Sure. Yeah, like chillamos. We're going to chillamos together. Okay. With some llamas. Well, in the spirit of that, let's chillamos on this uh, episode two of our podcast. And today I wanted to talk to you about something that I didn't really know anything about until starting to hang out with you and the world that you're in, which is heuristic traps or more like an easier way to describe them as human factor traps. If you don't speak Greek, for instance, which is that's the I Greek do not. Yeah. And I don't speak yeah. psychological. Yeah. So are you saying nerd. you were unfamiliar with human factor traps? You started hanging out with the physical embodiment of all of them, which is me, you and your friends. Yes. Yeah, I think that's accurate. OK, yeah. so in the spirit of that, I wanted to because I think the first episode we talked about avalanche problems. Yep. And I think this how to make them simple. I think this this is sort of the next add-on to that in a way. Yeah. Because we talked about the snow factors that can cause avalanches and how you can get in trouble there. Yeah. But this is really more of the psychological approach of how we get ourselves into trouble. We knew it was dangerous and we still went there anyway and we rationalized it to our friends of why we should do something really risky. Totally, yes. And it's I the equivalent of, here, Dewey, hold my beer, watch this. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yeah, I love that analogy. Um, just to I, I catch people up who aren't familiar, will you describe yeah. to me as simply as possible what the hell human factor traps are? Okay, so nine out of 10 avalanche fatalities are attributed to human factor traps. Okay. And human factor trap is a way of saying, hey, we didn't have a good system to make decisions, so we leaned on these stupid human tricks that get us into big trouble. And the reason why they're very appealing is they're fast, they take very little energy, and you can do it when you're cold, tired, and hungry and exhausted, and they sound really truthy when you're saying it. And I've fallen into all of these myself. And when you say when you're saying it, you mean when you're saying it to yourself as When you're well. saying it to yourself or trying to convince your riding partners of why we should ski this 40-degree bowl when it's considerable danger and we have an old snow problem. And what happens is the way our brains work is we make up our minds, we make up an opinion and a feeling, and then we rationalize why that's true. With these 
with these all these traps that you're talking about. Yeah, with these. Or I guess that's how they become classic traps. ways of totally blowing it. Stupid human tricks. Okay. And you don't have to feel bad about identifying it in yourself or your partners because we all share this. This is how humans are hardwired. And there's an advantage in simple environments without consequences. Cause you're like, hey, where are we gonna eat tonight? And you're like, well, that place is packed. It must be good. Let's go there. Mm. And if you get it wrong, well, maybe you got a little gut problems, <laughs> but the stakes are low, sure. right? Yeah. Where the, as the problem is um, when we're in the backcountry, it's what they call a wicked learning environment. Meaning we may do it wrong for a couple tours or many tours and get no feedback. And they're like, well, we didn't trigger any avalanches. I guess we're doing it right. And because we don't have any positive or negative feedback, I guess, because even positive feedback is sort of negative feedback in this exact scenario. You're losing me there, Dave. Keep it simple. Okay. Talk to me like I'm a six-year-old. If you do something wrong 10 times and you yep. don't know you're doing it wrong, yep. then you're not doing it right. Correct. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're learning to do something. But it's like you're way. turning in your, your test or your essay to your teacher and you never get any red marks on it. They just take it and they throw it in the recycle bin because they're like, I just can't be bothered to read like just How are you paper. supposed to know what, if you did well or not? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So in the absence of a clear way to make decisions, we're going to lean on these stupid human tricks, these human factor traps. And the, the Greek word is heuristics. And that comes from the same root as Eureka, I've got it. It's like inspiration hit me. And really? yeah, that's where it comes from. Heuristic, the word is, yeah, is derived from Eureka. Eureka. Yep, where okay. I've got it instantly. And you're like, well, is there any data to support this? No, not really, but I just feel it to be truthy. No way, okay. Yeah, far out, huh? Learn something new every day. There you go. So can you run me through really quickly just each one of the classic human factor traps and then sure. maybe give me a quick example of what that would look like. Yeah, why don't we run through them all and then we'll break them down individually. How's that sound? Great. Okay, so this is about 20 years ago, groundbreaking paper by Ian McCammon. And he leaned really heavily on social psychology from Danny Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winning uh, uh, social psychologist from Israel. And he's also a New York Times bestseller author. He's a freaking genius. And he basically upended economics and said, hey, listen, the fundamental underpinning in economics is that humans are rational actors. And that is just not true because I don't know any of those people. And I'm certainly not one of those people. Because let's face it, you and I, we've dedicated our lives to skiing. And it's dangerous, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and we've sure. sacrificed a lot of opportunities to pursue that sure. because it brings us joy and it makes our hearts sing and we just love it more than anything else. Right on. Okay. I, I'm in line with that. All right. So let's just assume that Danny Kahneman is right and he's got a million dollars for this Nobel Prize that says he is right and it changed the world. And I highly recommend you read his book or listen to him on some podcasts. Phenomenal. So. The and he's classic, a real free plug on this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so McCammon mined his work and said, hey, in avalanches, we see this all the time okay. where humans had a feeling or an opinion and they went with their gut and it really got them into trouble. And here's the classic six traps and they fall under the acronym of facets because we know that facets, if you're an avalanche geek, 
those are the sugar crystals. And in Colorado, those old snow weak layers, that kills 95% of the people. So facets are bad and facets the acronym for the human factor traps, these are bad as well. So we got familiarity, uh, acceptance, commitment, expert halo, tracks, and social proof. Okay. Oh, sorry, social proof, scarcity. Yeah. <laughs> it, some people flip them around, but we'll, we'll use, uh, we'll use tracks, scarcity. Isn't tracks social proof? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, McCammon did it a little bit differently, but it's harder to remember the original paper that he did. So mm. we'll go with a simplified version. So we'll say tracks and then we'll say scarcity. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then can you give a just really quick, because um, I don't want to bog down on each one and okay. dive into but could you give us, you know, let's just start off with familiarity. What's an example of familiarity? Well, I've Dave, I've skied this slope a thousand times and I've never seen an avalanche here. Okay. And Which obviously, when you're dealing with something with unpredictable <laughs> snow, it, and it sounds totally ridiculous when we're sitting here. Yeah. In this, but that's not an uncommon thing, or that's not. Yeah, that's a common thing to hear when you're. Oh, you hear it, hear it all the time. Always. We did this never. last week. Well, it snowed a foot. Yeah. It's not so the, the, the key question there is, well, what's different? Do we have exceptional conditions? And what we're seeing now, the start of this year, the whole West is pretty much well below average in snowpack. So we're gonna have a lot of old snow layers right. in places that don't usually have them. And that is gonna cause problems for a long time. And so what we've done in the past is not going to be applicable when we have exceptional conditions that are outside our normal experience. Right. And when someone says they've skied this slope a hundred times, a thousand times, what they really mean is probably 10. Maybe 15. <laughs> right. Shave 99% off of that yeah. number. So they think they're pulling off a massive data set, but what they're really pulling off is their very limited human experience. <laughs> they're pulling off a miracle. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, the next one is acceptance. Can you give me an example? Yeah. Humans are social creatures and it's incredibly important for us to fit in with our clan, with our group, with our pack because we wouldn't have survived very long out on our own. We're designed to work together and totally. dominate the planet. <laughs> and if you're the outcast, that can be pretty tough. And so we can often be very reluctant to share uh, an opinion that goes against the group or goes against maybe the, the biggest loudmouth jerk in the group who's like, dude, really? Come on, you're worried about this? It's gonna be fine. Just send it. Yeah, just send it. And, and so it can be very difficult to push back and feel like, oh, geez, I don't want to be the negative Ned in the group. And, you know, Homer dismisses me as, come on, Flanders, <laughs> you know, don't be the negative Ned. Just go along and have a good time. Yeah, and that's interesting, too, because sometimes even when you have a genuine question that's not even doubting the decisions we're all making, yeah. it can come across as being the negative Nancy. Yep. And that's. That will stop. Go along that will sometimes get along. stop people from even bringing something up because they don't even want to be perceived yeah. Yeah. as being the negative name. And it could also, as well, um, acceptance in a group is like, hey, um, if I ski this steep, gnarly line, I can blow it up on right. the Instawebs and social media. And all these people will and think all I'm these people are going to give me adulation. And yeah. we see this in ski movies as well. It's totally unrealistic 
And folks get avalanched all the time. And we're like, yeah, yeah. this is amazing. It's like literally theaters across the nation <laughs> cheering people out running Yeah, and that's wildly unrealistic. And totally. as an avalanche educator, I get that all the time. I'm like, hey, why are you here to take your area level two? And they said, because I want to send the NAR midwinter in Colorado. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's just not going to happen very often. You should often. pick up base jumping. <laughs> exactly. Or you should consider moving to a maritime snowpack. Sure. Yeah. Go to BC. Yeah. Um, okay. What is, let's talk about uh, commitment. commitment. Yeah. That's the next one. So let's say um, we're on our dream vacation on a hut trip and conditions are not good. It's considerable danger with an old snow problem and there's an avalanche warning out and we're like, whoa, but this is our one time to go into the hut this year. And we had to cancel it last year because everybody got COVID and like, we got to make this work. And you're like, wow, the approach to the hut is super gnarly. And you have to go under huge avalanche chutes and be really exposed. We're likely to fall into that commitment trap of we've already booked the reservation. The money is sunk. We can't get it back. We're going no matter what. Right. Yeah. And that one's tricky too, because it doesn't even have, the stakes don't even have to be that high. Yeah. It can be as simple as we're going to go see this face today. Yeah. And we didn't and have then, any backup plans. And then the whole time we're going up this face, it's, uh, man, the snow's not even looking that good or we're seeing signs of wind, like yeah. whatever, name anything. Yeah. But you're just committed. You're we have, see like, a whole vision. bunch of red flag, obvious clues, recent avalanches, sure. cracks under our skis, <laughs> yeah. wump, wind loading. And we're just like, wow. But we didn't have <laughs> Let's a go. backup plan. Right. So if we get to the top of the bowl and we're trying to decide between going back down the wind scoured skin track and skiing grass and rocks or, or the wind loaded bowl at 40 degrees at considerable, we're going to find a way to rationalize why skiing the bowl makes sense. To convince ourselves that it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And the tricky thing is you, you equated this kind of when I was learning about this, you equated this like all of these to, you know, we approach doing dangerous things logically, kind of like what you're talking about. But really when we do it, it's just being good at poker. It's like, how good are you at playing this dicey game? And so I think that's something that has always stick, stuck with me of, especially when we're out in the backcountry of like, do I really know what I'm doing or do I have how like a good- How strong is your full house? Right, like do I, have a good feeling about this yeah. or or am I like certain because there is evidence to back up what we're talking about skiing? Yeah. And, and it's, it's rarely certain <laughs> in the snowpack, as certain, right? <laughs> yeah. As certain as you could be, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and our, by the way, there is zero correlation between our confidence and our accuracy. Of course. So if, <laughs> if you ask me, this is a perfect segue to the next one. It's E for expert halo. Right. If you say to me, Jeff, hey, how certain are you that the bowl isn't gonna slide? And if I say, I'm 100% certain, that is a huge red flag and you just call me out because the expert halo is, is kicking in. Totally. Where I have so many years of experience and, and so much uh, training under my belt gives me a false sense of security. And it gives me a sense that I've mastered something that is unknowable. To some extent, um, the snowpack is never truly knowable. And it's much like uh, the game of chess versus the game of poker. So with chess, the pieces move in a reliable pattern. 
and all the information is out there. And so usually the best player wins because they have more skill. But that's not like that with avalanches or poker because I could have a really strong hand. I might have a full house and I've got a couple kings and three queens and I'm like, I'm gonna push all my chips into the middle. We're gonna ski the bowl and then you have a better hand and you wipe me out. Totally. And I'm just like, ah, oh, such bad luck. Who could have foreseen this? And you're like, well, if you run the odds, you might be confident that you're likely to win, but there's no certainty there. Yeah, and exactly. So, yeah, when we're dealing with a snowpack, we have to recognize that even as an expert, the snowpack to an extent is unknowable. And there's always a degree of risk that it could avalanche. Right, I think something that's interesting about th this particular human factor trap, which is the expert halo, to me almost seems like it goes the other way. Oh yeah? A bit, at least talking to you. Because in our last podcast, you were talking about how you know that sheer probability, because of how much you've done this, yeah. sheer probability itself means that you are living in kind of the weird zone of like freak accidents. My exposure crazy time things. is 100 plus days a year in avalanche terrain right. times 30 years. It's massive. Yeah, it's yeah. thousands of days of exposure. Yeah. I was told there'd be no math on this podcast, <laughs> by the way. We're going to say that in every single episode, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we might just have to get better at math, Jeff. Um, but I think that's really interesting because you're aware of that fact that you're, but then even, even with that knowledge rationally floating around in your brain, it's still anyone could get out and just be like, oh, this looks sick and I have a good feeling about this. Yep. And that comes from the school of hard knocks where I was absolutely confident and certain and we triggered an avalanche. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, and after that happens numerous times over your career, that illusion of certainty is ex totally exploded. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, that way lies madness. And on the flow chart of mastery, there's a fork and you start off as a novice. You don't know what you don't know. And it's kind of like the Dunning-Kruger effect where you're just really confident because you've never seen it go bad, badly. Right. You never had close calls. And then as you get to an intermediate, you've seen it go wrong a couple times and you realize, oh, this is way harder than I thought. Right. And then you've got a fork in the road. And the false master is like, well, I've got my avalanche certs. And you're like, great, you showed up to a class and you paid your money and you did okay. Good for you, pat on the back. And without a reliable process to make decisions that gives you feedback in a timely manner on the spot, you're gonna be lulled into think that you're nailing it. And this is the false master. Right. And then on the other side is Yoda, the true master, okay? And you have to be aware of your own incompetence and be super diligent with your decision-making processes that have a lot of margin for error and redundancy built in and gives you feedback along the way. And that doesn't really exist in the avalanche world. The system. Yeah, the current system that we've been using in the avalanche world, you don't finish a tour and say, hey, we can see that we were in the red high risk zone until Aspect Abbey. 
that just didn't exist. And so mm, you and I, I would saying. debrief at the tailgate right. over a beer and be like, well, what'd you think? And I'm like, I don't know. Felt good to me and feel good to you. All right, high five. We did it right. But now we have a way to, to verify if what we did was actually rolling the dice or yeah. if it was a good decision based off of yeah. information we had. And it can give us feedback instantly. Like if right. I get a little powder crazy and I ski over the steep rollover that you pointed out and said, hey, that's red on the map. We're not going there. That's over the limit for today's avalanche forecast. Right. Um, you can call that out on the spot and be like, hey, Jeff, that wasn't cool. We said we weren't going to go into we're the We're not going today. that way. Yeah, we're not going that way. We went to crazy town. Okay. And I'll be like, oh, my God, sorry. I just kind of lost my mind there. Freaking expert halo, Jeff. Yeah. All right, the next one is tracks. Or Yeah, tracks. So oftentimes we'll see multiple tracks on the slope, and that's the social proof that, hey, they jumped off the bridge and they were just fine. Right. It didn't slide when they skied it. Yeah. And this is where it gets really tricky because with an old snow problem particularly, and that's far and away the biggest killer, not just in Colorado, but in the whole US, and we're gonna have a ton of old snow problems in places that don't usually have that. This is where the tracks lull you into safety. And you think, oh, there's a hundred tracks in the slope. Well, it only takes one person to hit that trigger point. Think of it as a landmine. And those trigger points are often where the snowpack is thinner along uh, rocks or brush or trees where the facets tend to grow. And right now we have perfect conditions for growing facets. And facets are just sugar, the old snow problem. Right. And so it doesn't matter how many tracks are on the slope. If you've got an old snow problem, you could be the one that triggers it. It could be tracked out wall to wall, and then you find the sweet spot, and boom, the whole thing avalanches. Right. <laughs> Lucky. Freaky. All right, and then the last one, scarcity. Yeah, scarcity. Um, and we're probably going to see that a lot this year, where it hasn't snowed very much at all. Most of the country is at 60% or less of the normal snowpack, so powder fever is going to be really high. And we're going to have a weak old snow snowpack across the majority of the western U.S., and when it does finally start to snow, there's going to be a lot of pent up scarcity where I haven't gotten my powder fix this year and it's super dangerous and it's going to stay dangerous for a long period of time till that old snow problem heals, which takes forever. And we're going to want to be getting after it. And if I see tracks going in and I'm like, oh my God, they're stealing my powder. They got it. Yeah. So that social eat. proof and scarcity go hand in hand. It's like a run okay. on the bank. And you're like, oh, my God, I got <laughs> to right. get my the money cycle, out before yeah. they before What they do get they know money? that I don't know? Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, thanks for, like, breaking all those down and kind of giving uh, an example of each one. And I, now the question I ask is, like, what do we do about it? How do we yeah. – how do we – well, actually, before we jump into that, we are specifically talking about backcountry skiing and snowboarding with mm -hmm. these examples because that's how we really interact with it. But uh, human factor traps, like they exist. They rule our lives. Like it's everything, right? You could look at most car accidents or climbing accidents or any kind of high risk activity that results in an accident. And you're like, you can probably attribute it to one of those human factor traps we just went over. Okay, so this is a broader, 
for the purpose of this podcast, because this is where we live, you know, this is our world. Yep. We're going to stick to the, the, stick the to avalanche stuff. Okay. But for anyone listening, know that these can be applied to pretty much everything you do. Yeah. As far as action sports, adventure, yeah. all that stuff. And I wish I was immune to it as an expert, but I'm just as guilty of falling into human factor traps as a novice. Well, they're traps, man. They're you, traps. You fall into them. Yeah. By definition. I think of it as like a tiger trap in the jungle, you know, where yeah. they got the <laughs> just palm like, fronds and then <laughs> you fall in and you just never saw it coming. Dude. Yeah. So, okay. I now, can see it a lot easier in other people, but I have a real hard time seeing it myself. It's funny how it's easier to see the things that are yeah. pretty typical. The uh, projection. <laughs> the problems with other people and not yourself. All right. Yeah. Okay. So then now let's jump into what to do you know, about what do we do about this yeah how can we take action on this you know to me after just hearing all that stuff and i'm thinking through my head like oh yeah i'm guilty yeah. of that i've done i've thought that i've been in groups that did that so yeah. where so where do we go what's right. our solution so about 20 years ago mccammon did a great uh job of identifying basically diagnosing the thing that gets us killed we knew it was dangerous and somehow we had a feeling that we wanted to do it and we rationalized why it was a smart thing to do you're referring to his paper that yeah. he released in like yeah. 2002 so that's the equivalent of saying hey we discovered cancer and we know how to diagnose it okay but we have no way of treating it good luck with that and so that was 20 that was the paper 20 that was years 20 ago. years ago and there have been nothing in the field to treat the human factor traps we've basically said we've identified cancer Job done. But, okay, so then, yeah, I mean, I guess you're not really being taught about this stuff in, like, rescue courses. Well, you're often taught, hey, facets, these are the classic traps to watch out for. That they exist. That they exist. But until now, we didn't have a way to give you live feedback and say, hey, you're about to do something really risky. Which of these human factor traps are you falling into, do you think? Okay. So basically you and I would be at the top of the bowl and I'd be trying to con you into why we're going to go ski this sketchy line. And you're like, man, I don't know. I don't feel good about this, but it'd be really hard to push back with anything concrete except to just have an argument. And it's sure. you opinionating and me opinionating and who's going to dig in their heels and, and try to bludgeon the other person with their opinion. And okay, so then I have a question. Yeah. I feel like I know where you're going, but in that exact scenario, I think there would be a term that would probably be thrown around, which one of us would probably say, I got a good feeling about this, or my yeah. gut is telling me. Your intuition. So, so where in the grand scheme of this, of these traps, like where is intuition or your gut feeling? Where do we want to listen to that? And where yeah. does that lead us into these traps? That's a great question. So intuition is a one-way street. Okay. If you listen to your intuition, which is your subconscious mind processing faster than your conscious mind, and it's recognizing patterns, you can use it to step back and be more conservative. Okay. You're like, hey, something doesn't feel right. I don't like this. I'm out. Okay. That's like when you're getting the bad vibe. Yeah. And I can't put my finger on it, but something doesn't feel right. That's when intuition can be very powerful and super preventive but you can't use it the other way. You can't say, hey, I'm at the top of the bowl. I feel good about this. Because what that is saying is, 
I feel good about skiing two feet of powder on a considerable day on a 45 <laughs> degree slope. That's like the dopamine <laughs> yeah. overriding and being like, you're already yeah. getting the chemical reward in Guilty your brain. Guilty as charged. Yeah. Guilty as charged. Okay, so, yeah. so the gut feeling really, the only way to properly use that is in a conservative manner to yeah. take a step back, take a macro view on something yep. and be like, I think, wait, I think we might be up to something wrong. Yep. And it's a huge red flag for me. It's a full stop. If I'm working with a team on the radio, if I ever hear anyone say, I feel good about it, it's full stop, face-to-face -face talk. Why? Because, <laughs> because I'm a touchy-feely guy. I want to hug it out, but not on the job. Sure. Because we are not risking people's lives based on feelings. We want to see a large body of data with a justifiable process that stands up to rigor. Okay? So <laughs> we need to have, if, if, if you and I go out riding and I say, Dave, I feel good about this, it's gonna be pretty hard for me to go back to your wife and tell her why you didn't come home. And it's because I felt good about it. Right. Or that doesn't hold up in court as a mountain guide. It's like, hey, what's your logical defensible process that will hold up to a cross-examination on the witness stand? Well, that's almost like where we make the joke if someone feels good about something, just ask them why three times. Yeah, and it'll all fall apart. Right. It's hilarious. You're just like, hey, I'm sorry, Jeff. I don't have a shiny guides badge, and I'm not an internationally certified mountain guy with decades worth of experience. But it says here on Aspect Abbey, that's going in the red zone. Could you just explain to me like I'm a six-year-old why we're going to go Why we're going to do this? Yeah. And if you ask someone why like two or three times, usually it just all unravels. Right. And it comes down to because I'm an expert and I say so. Okay, so is the, you know, we joke around about, even when we're out ski touring, we joke around about just asking why over and over is almost yeah. a way to just, so it sounds funny, but is that a valid tool to, to kind of help Socrates us Socrates is a big fan of it. And I have <laughs> <Okay>. too. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, we've done such a deep dive in, you know, I've personally read every single avalanche fatality in the last 11 years in the U.S. And the patterns, they just, the signal stands out through the noise. You see the same patterns over and over again. And what we wanted to do with Aspect Avi is give your team a tool so that everyone is looking at the same information. And you don't have to go off of feelings or opinions. You can go off of objective data that doesn't care that you haven't skied powder this year. Right. And it doesn't care that this is the driest winter in X number of years and we've got old snow layers up the wazoo and it's gonna be dangerous for a while. It's just saying, hey, these are the high risk slopes for today's avalanche forecast. And you decide whether you're gonna go or not. And it's very simple framework. Like if we have a stoplight and we see red, we know all know what that means and we act right. accordingly. And if we see green, we know exactly what that means. But where it gets tricky, do I go through the yellow? <laughs> do I or hit like, the gas or the brake? Right. And Am I gonna make it through this time yeah. or not? And so there's two different things going on in our brains. One is a decision. If it's red, I stop. That is a decision. If it's green, I go. That is a decision. But yellow requires judgment. And that's where the human factors traps, they come in in a real hurry. Mm. They just come stampeding in. And usually if I'm using one human factor trap, I probably got a couple other riding along with it. 
and they kind of stack. Like if you were <laughs> yeah. in like a video game, it'd be like buff on buff on buff. <laughs> and so Kahneman says explicitly, he says, you know, here's the reason why people use uh, the human factor traps. It's because they don't have a good alternative. They don't have a simple, fast way of making a good decision. Okay, so this is, it's a fallback. Yeah, because there is no other alternative. Right. And then it gets even trickier. So if we're at altitude, if we're skiing in Colorado, often the summits are 12,000 feet. Sure. Okay, most people are living at about five or 6,000 feet. Well, or well below that. Or below if you're coming from sea yeah. level. So you're hypoxic and you've automatically lost, oh, let's just call it 30% of your IQ, your brain power. Okay. And your brain only runs off of glycogen. It doesn't really run off of fat. So if, if I'm bonking, I can't think. If my legs are tired, my brain is really tired because mm. it demands a ton of energy. So now maybe we've lost 50% of our IQ and then you throw in powder fever and scarcity. Oh my gosh, this is our one chance you're to go touring. You're starting to draw, like paint a really compelling picture for this, right? Exactly. Here. So we've designed Aspect Abbey to be an antidote to that, to just say, hey, listen, it's giving you the stoplight and it says red. So even if I'm quite depleted, uh, maybe I didn't get a good night's sleep, my legs are tired, so my brain is tired, and I'm hypoxic, because I'm up at 12,000 feet, it's pretty easy to be like, oh yeah, I remember, red means stop. Yeah, let's not do that. Right. Yeah, so the Socratic method is super helpful of asking why from your partners, but I can't really do that so easily with myself. Because mm. uh, usually the person that I need to convince <laughs> to chill out is usually myself, because gotcha. I'm a little too excited. Gotcha. Okay, yep. so, and to be clear, we, you know, kind of this is a bit of a plug for the app in this episode. Shameless product plug. Because it is genuinely one of the first tools that helps address this. Yep, it gives you live feedback where you can say, hey, if we go there, it's gonna be in the red. That's gonna be high risk. Yeah, and you don't need, you know, like that's, that's not like turning your brain off. Cause I, you know, I feel like some people are like, oh, like blindly trust an app, which like, that's not what we're saying. This is just giving you really clear, you know, it, it's not gonna get hypoxic, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's to me like that's red based on yep. this algorithm and based off of the snow conditions and the avalanche forecasts and yep. all that stuff. And then our live input, if we're like, hey, right. the forecast is wrong about 20% of the time and we need to verify it and localize it for where we are right now, live in the snow. And if we're seeing these obvious clues of shooting cracks and warmthing and rapid loading, we'll say, hey, it's considerable where we are. Right. And we're gonna see a lot more red on the, on the map. Yeah. yeah. This is a, a really interesting topic because I guess for me, I was just sort of surprised as I started learning about it, how applicable it is to so many things. <laughs> and I'm someone who definitely has spent my life just taking a lot of risks, doing a lot of yeah. high risk stuff. Yeah. Both in like, I guess my professional life and then also just things I like to do. Yeah, you know? hundred foot gap jumps. Yeah. Jump, well, but, but <laughs> beyond that, like jumping off of cliffs into lakes, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And I, um, I, I was really shocked when I started learning about this topic that I'd never been taught it by any of my peers or coaches or anything before, or that it hadn't really come across 
you know, and this is after the paper you've been referencing came out. I mean, you know, this information's been floating around out there. So I, I maybe my final kind of question to you is like, is there a reason why this isn't more known or, or can we help people? Is there a way we can help people learn about this more easily? I mean, we'll put a, uh, we'll put a link to the paper that we're talking about in the show notes for this podcast, but like how, what can we do to kind of educate our friends about this? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, Are, I mean, are there resources? I mean, I'm not trying to tee you up in any way. I'm <laughs> genuinely asking. It's kind of a. Yeah, for me, um, you know, I had a life changing event when I got avalanched in Italy in the Ortler range. Right. And we were really lucky. We walked away without a scratch, but, you know, we went for about 15, 1800 vertical feet over three cliff bands. And we ended up right on top and we were fine. Um, but that caused me to realize, hey, my expert halo, I, I lost it back there in that avalanche somewhere. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> I was the false master. Yeah. I thought I had it nailed, but I was coasting and I didn't have a really reliable decision-making process. And so that sent, us, sent me down this route of, hey, there's gotta be a better way to play poker where I can play the odds in a very conservative manner. And so I don't have to stress about being avalanched and um, so uh, Kahneman's book was, was a seminal moment for me and it kind of tied everything together. I'm like, this is what we're doing in the back country as an industry, as a profession and me personally, and in my friends and in my colleagues. And it caused me to question everything. Um, so I'd say that's a great place to look is podcasts or books with Danny Kahneman or his colleague and also Nobel Prize winner, Richard Thaler. Okay. Uh, and we've basically incorporated a lot of their work um, into the app. Right. Because we know that humans are gonna human. So let's make it really simple to do the right thing. Let's give you feedback in the moment, if you get it wrong, to be like, hey, get back on track and try to make it simple and fun. Right you know, try to make it enjoyable so that's not onerous. So it doesn't take an hour to do your tour plan. You're like, nope, we just did our tour plan in five minutes. We've got three good looking options in the clear. We're gonna stay out of the red. Let's go out in the field and see what conditions are like. And we'll choose the one that has the best snow and the safest snow. Yeah, I mean, on our drive down here, you and I were talking and I was telling you that I think something that's interesting about, or I guess it's not even interesting, I just find very refreshing whenever we go out or have people with us is we always have like three or four different options. And so it helps yeah. us avoid a lot of, you know, scarcity or commitment, commitment. I mean, or, or even expert halo stuff because we'll all be experiencing the same conditions and yeah. be able to make a decision like, Hey, let's go to the other spot. The spot seems dicey, you know, like, yeah, and I, I love, you know, we're going to go out here on Christmas Eve with our buddy Nikki, and he's fresh off the plane from L.A. And what I love is it takes the pressure off of me um, if we're all using Aspect Abbey because Nikki can be like, hey, guys, I just showed up. It's my first day on skis. This year, not this ever. This year, yeah. <laughs> Very good skier. But he's like, hey, I don't want to ski that line. It's in the red. Right. And I can be like, oh, thanks for checking me, Nikki. Because, you know, the pilot has a co-pilot <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> to like watch your back. And 
that feedback that you get for your trusted friends or maybe your romantic partner who know you really well is invaluable to grow as a human. And for me to grow as a mountain professional, I need objective feedback. It doesn't make, it doesn't do me any good to be in an echo chamber. Right. And, you know, one thing I'd like to tie in, and this is totally for the geeks out there who are still listening. And, and if you're <laughs> bored at this point, I totally understand. You're like, hey, I'm ready to tap out. I get it. But for those diehards, what we're dealing with is, is basically a guerrilla warfare situation where the Rand Court back in the Vietnam you, era. You mean our relationship with the snow? You got it. Yeah, okay. It's, they coined this term, this acronym, VUCA, V-U-C-A. And V is for volatile. C is for complex. Uh, U is for unknown. V, then you, then C. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's back it up. Let's I'm the that. dyslexic one, bro. <laughs> volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And that is guerrilla warfare to a T or urban warfare where things can go wrong in a hurry and it's a complex system. So one tiny variable change in the whole system blows up and you may never have a warning. Hmm. And that's very much the avalanche game. Sounds familiar. Yeah, exactly. So in, if you're in a VUCA situation, which if you're dealing with avalanches, that's what we're in. Like no matter what? No matter what, that's just how it is. Okay. Like if you're an avalanche train, it's a VUCA situation if you've got snow on the ground. I think that's a really um, useful way of looking at this probably. <laughs> yeah, it's guerrilla warfare and you're not gonna see it coming a lot of times. And there's gonna be an ambush and it could be quite deadly. So Kahneman's approach is like, listen, when you're in a VUCA scenario, unless you have a really clear, robust red light, green light system that's low energy, go, no go, it's gonna be really hard to avoid the heuristic traps, the human factor traps. We are just gonna lean on them. They feel good, they're fast, they're sound low good. energy. They sound Snappy. truthy. Yeah. They sound truthy and at the moment, they're hard to push back against. Well, and you know, the rest of the group is probably falling into the trap too. Exactly, and, and I can't emphasize this enough and how important it is to have a very clear go, no-go system that's objective. Um, and I know we're going a deep dive into this and people are like, Rancorp, what the hell has that got to do with avalanches? But like at this point, I don't even care because I'm so passionate about this and this is what saved lives. This is the human factor that gets injected because if the avalanche danger is sketchy, it's not a problem until humans enter the equation. Right, if avalanche slides, it, it doesn't matter unless someone's stuck in it. If the avalanche slides in the forest and no one's there to hear it, it's okay. <laughs> the forecast center will still know about it though. Yeah, they, they'll sleuth it They're out. very good yeah. at what they do. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I, f I feel like we've covered this pretty well and I appreciate this conversation and offering some of the tools. What's, what are maybe some of the last thoughts you wanna leave people listening to this with steps to go forward? Like, I, I, For one, for me would be, hey, if you're getting the bad vibe, stand at the top of something, speak yep. up. And your and, intuition's a one-way street. And if, if yep. you're getting that gut feeling and it's and it's not a positive one, you should speak up and 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 I would say like the rest of the people should listen to that person. Cause yeah. that's something else going on. And it's not like woo-woo voodoo stuff. That's just 
Yeah. I think we've all experienced a gut feeling that we pushed away and then something went wrong. Yeah. Do you have any other, maybe just like one or two quick pieces yeah. of wisdom to leave people with? Yeah. So have an objective system that gives you feedback immediately. And so far in the avalanche world, I've only seen that aspect. Abby does that. You have one app. <laughs> yep. Okay. And if, if you don't have that, you're going to have to be really smart and really tuned in and ask why a lot and be ready to be unlikable. Mm. Um, we'll put a whole bunch of resources in the liner notes for the podcast. Sure. And there's a great Malcolm Gladwell podcast on this about follow the data. Oh, is this the Spock one that you yeah. had me listen to yeah. like a year ago? Yeah. That one is good. It's called Pull the Goalie. Yes, So exactly. in hockey, Oh, yeah. Yeah, in hockey, they normally pull the goalie when they're down by a goal or two or three with about a minute, minute and a half to go. Sure. Because that is the socially acceptable thing for the coach to do. But the mm. numbers say the coach should pull it at five minutes or maybe even 10 minutes. And in fact, if you're the underdog going against a championship caliber team, you should probably pull the goalie in the first period. The whole game. <laughs> because this is your only chance. And you're probably going to fail miserably and lose 12 to zip. And the social cost for the coach, like if you're in Canada, they're going to burn the Coliseum down. <laughs> They're like, you pulled the goalie, 10 minutes left in the game. Now we lost six to zero instead of three to zero. And it's humiliating. So you need to be prepared to do the right thing. And the right thing is defined by what the data says is a smart play. So getting back into how this relates to avalanche stuff. Yeah. You need to be able to stand your ground and tell your friends, we're not skiing this. This is our no-go terrain for the day. We said that in our tour plan mm. and you're going to have to be super clever and just keep asking them why and hopes to coax them around. But I think it'd be a way more persuasive tool to show them your phone or if they've got it on their own phone and say, Hey, that's in the red. Why are we going base jumping? Oh, or at very least that gives you an easy out of being like, I'm not doing that because here's why this is because yeah. I'm not. And you can always bribe your friends, be like, tell you what, I'm not, I don't want to do this. I think this is a bad idea. I'll buy all of our post-ride beers <laughs> when we get down safely. I haven't tried that one before, but yeah, I think it's, it's great for me as a, a check as a professional. And, um, you know, you could speak truth to power. Hmm. You know, let's, let's admit it. There's a power differential when we go out touring and most people are gonna to defer to the mountain guide or the senior person in the group or the person who talks the loudest and is the baddest rider in the group. Check the most backflips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is a way of leveling the playing field yeah. and saying, hey, you know, I don't have the years of experience that you do. However, I don't have all those experiences of getting avalanched either. Mm. And this is what the data says. And Sweet. as a professional, if I'm working with another guide, I make it super clear, especially if they're an aspirant, that means like assistant guide. I'm like, hey, listen, your job is to watch my back. And Dave, if I miss anything, you need to bring it up. To, check, to check you. To check me. And if it's in front of the clients, so be it. Mm. My ego has no place in, in our decision-making process or our safety process. And if I'm working in a team that's so dysfunctional that someone's ego is so fragile, they can't have their logic questioned. 
<laughs> I don't want to be part of that. You probably team. shouldn't be a mountain guide either. <laughs> exactly. Oh, they're prima donnas. They're delicate lotus flowers. I know, man. <laughs> I hang out with one almost every day. Well, uh, sweet man. I thank you for having this conversation. I feel like this is. I've even learned more about this. Uh, just to, having this back and forth with you. Do you have any kind of last words before we wrap this thing up? Poof. Um. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if you don't have your own system worked out to be super clear and super simple and easy to do, we're going to use the human factor traps. And then your only pushback from that is to be really unlikable and to just keep asking why. And that is a really difficult social cost to bear. And I've done it before and it's ruined friendships, but I was like, well, it's better than dying. <laughs> um, so I would say dive into these, check out the podcast and the liner notes because they're actually really enjoyable. And they're yeah. what I use for avalanche courses where they think, oh, we're going to spend a lot of time in snow pits. And I'm like, the answer is not in the snow pit. <laughs> the answer really is between your ears. Yeah, psychological yeah. approach. And they're actually really fun and interesting thought experiments to play. And it's fun to grow and learn. Um, and the feedback is pretty much universal of like, oh, that was so cool. <laughs> I learned a lot. I agree. And I think that having, you know, read and listened to those resources, going out, it, it kind of, you know, the more you learn about something, like it adds layers of, of complexity to stuff, yeah. obviously. Nuance. But yeah. Then, curiosity. Yeah. I feel like it's given me a new view on when we go out and tour. Yeah. Like beyond just kind of the standard. Yeah. So it blew my doors off when I read or heard about these. And I think it's often the aha phenomenon of when someone labels it, you're like, yes, I just didn't have the words for that. <laughs> That's what that thing is. Yes. I've experienced that, but I didn't know how to talk about it with my partners. Ah, yeah. And I was so frustrated and helpless at the time. And, and now I can label it and identify it, hopefully in the field and yeah. spot it coming. Well, hell yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> all right. Great. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the backcountry. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to All Aspects. If you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating and review. It really is the best way to help others find the show. Thanks again to our business daddy, Aspect Abbey, for making this show possible. To learn more about how Aspect Abbey is making avalanche safety simple, go to aspectabbey.com. If you want to use this powerful new tool on your next backcountry adventure, simply download the app from the App Store and enjoy 30 days free on them. Lastly, a special thanks to Ice Lab for helping us produce this show. You guys rock and we couldn't do it without you. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the backcountry.